1 Timothy 2, starting at verse number 2. And here's what the scripture Paul wrote to the church. Pray this way for kings, and that represents any in authority and all who are in authority, any person who has position of leadership and rulership. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Boy, we need, we need people to understand the truth that we're living in, in the world we're living in today. Amen? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The principles upon which America was founded are on the line in this election on November the 8th. This is pivotal. The principles, the Constitution, the Articles, the Bill of Rights, all of that that our founders envisioned, as Ben Franklin said, we're giving you a republic if you can keep it. Okay, if you can keep it. All of that is on the line in this election, November the 8th. And every born-again follower of Jesus Christ must be willing to fulfill the requirement of praying for those who are tasked with governing the people. And it's a very important principle because whoever becomes president, and of course there are other elections going on locally as well, but we, we're going to have to pray for whichever person becomes the president of the United States. We are tasked to pray for those who govern with intercessory prayer for one another in the body of Christ, for our leaders, and for our nation. Every Christian should be praying for the leaders of our municipality, the leaders of our state, the leaders of our nation. And we must learn to pray for the leaders of our nation, including the next president, the houses of Congress, the Supreme Court justices. Now, Jesus made it clear, followers of Jesus should make a contribution to the betterment of our society. And here's the interaction Jesus is having with leaders in his day. Now tell us, they asked Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and he said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. And when they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, you might find yourself in agreement with me. I find a pretty minuscule amount of what I'm required to pay in taxes going for anything that I find to be meaningful. On the other hand, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, and Jesus instructs his followers we should be the best citizens and pay what is required of us. Followers of Jesus should be respectful of leadership and of the laws because we live in the culture that we've been placed in by God himself. And certainly we have the right to object, to debate, but always with respect in our pleadings. We honor the office 
no matter who holds it. I've heard some say, well, if this person is elected president, I will leave our country. If seeing your candidate lose ends your patriotism and love for country, then it isn't patriotism. It's devotion to a personality or even gender or race. We must not labor under the misconception that the president is our country. The president works for us. We the people. That's why we want one with integrity. Most of us have heard political speeches until we're ready to vomit. I've listened to political speeches for decades. Some good, some awful. Many filled with promises never intended to be kept. Pastor, are you saying candidates will lie to get elected? Yes. Adamantly, yes. How's your health insurance working for you? And remember what God says about lying. I hate and abhor lying. And we are to love what God loves and hate what God hates. When a lie is told to you, if you are a follower of Jesus, your conscience should be stabbed. And you should recoil at that and say, no, that's not the kind of leadership we need. President Truman once said, I work for the government and I'm trying to keep my job. (laughs) Those in government need to understand we do not work for them. They work for us. That's called a republic. Okay? And if your candidate isn't elected, stand in faith Pray to God to turn the heart of the elected official and then work for things to become better. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. So the followers of Jesus should be politically engaged because the issues of the day are biblical. They're our issues. They've been co-opted many times, but they're our issues. And if it means you enter the arena of politics and run for office, absolutely. Because we need followers of Jesus to be elected to office. For certain, every believer should register, should pray, should think, and vote. Because. I'm Sarah, and I'm a fifth grade teacher. The last three presidential elections were decided by an average of just 5 million votes. More than 25 million Christians who were registered to vote did not vote in the 2012 presidential election. Do the math. Pledge to vote at myfaithvotes.org. I pledge. I pledge. I pledge. Join 90 million Christians on November 8, 2016. Pledge to vote at myfaithvotes.org. Together, we make the vote. Amen. A follower of Jesus should be knowledgeable and literate, not just about the candidates and what they believe, but also about how this representative democracy works. What does it mean, and to the republic for which it stands? We were formed to be a republic. And if you watch the person on the street interviews, I don't know about you, I'm always intrigued by those, you should be appalled at the illiteracy of the American voter. 
when they ask a person about America's history or government or their congressional representative, I find their answers humiliating and often disgusting. They can name singers and movie personalities and cannot identify those on the ticket for vice president of the United States of America. I watched some interviews again the other day. The question was asked, who did we fight in the Revolutionary War? The majority of those interviewed answered Russia. Yeah. I urge you, citizens of the United States of America, learn and treasure our history. Go back to Washington, D.C. Tour the monuments. Look at all the scriptures that are inscribed in the granite at those monuments. We're privileged to go to the installation of the Attorney General of the United States and went into his office and he showed us right above where he sits or sat, there was emblazoned scripture just above him. And he had been defending himself in the media because they were making accusations about him because he had a prayer meeting in that office voluntarily for any staff who'd like to come and pray before they started the business day every week. And he was being criticized. So while being interviewed in his office, he pointed to the interviewer to the scripture emblazoned on the wall over his head. He said, that's why we have prayer in here, because that's the way this building was constructed. Learn and cherish our Constitution and understand how our government is supposed to work. If you were here when Rick Green has come here over the 4th of July weekends and you picked up this little document called The Constitution Made Easy, you get an understanding in 30 minutes of what our fathers believed, what they trusted us with, what the Bill of Rights says to us. Learn and cherish it. Understand how it's supposed to work because so many don't know. Those now in office misuse the Constitution and violate its principles openly because they know so few people even understand what it says. Every follower of Jesus who is a citizen should vote. Remember your history and those who struggled for universal suffrage, for the right of every citizen to vote. The struggles that went on for women to vote, for blacks to get to vote, for all who put on the uniform of the United States and they fought, were wounded, and died for your right to vote. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the news and appalled once again at the treatment of those who serve our country and have served our country. Purple Heart recipient, a captain in the Army, he said, I've spent years of my life deployed, missed out on my birthdays and deaths in the family, and got blown up. And now they say, I haven't fulfilled my contract because 10,000 of us in the National Guard are being ordered to repay reenlistment bonuses because we signed on to go fight in Iraq and Afghanistan. Thankfully, the Department of Defense has put that on hold because the American people started screaming about it. And it's about time. Amen. Because these people go out and fight for your liberties and for this document we call the Constitution every day of our lives. And for those who lobbied our state governments and lobbied our federal government for decades for the right to vote. They prayed for the right. 
They marched in the streets for that right. They struggled for the right to vote. For the immigrants who escaped a restrictive government for freedom, who came to America with little or nothing, but the hope of freedom. And the template was that they learned our language. They passed a background check, were deemed physically fit, and they struggled to work to make a new life in America. For the women who immigrated for liberty, because in her land she could not drive, she could not get an education, she could never cast a vote or have a voice. And for all those who legally obtained citizenship and finally voted for the first time on their behalf, if you refuse to vote, for those who have come of age to vote but won't vote because they want to whine and say their person didn't get the nomination, you are an insult to all of those who fought so hard and struggled for the right to vote. Every Christian citizen should vote. The 25 million who didn't need to go to the polls this November the 8th and make sure our voices are heard loudly and clearly. When you go into the voting booth, if you don't think of one other thing, think of the Supreme Court and where a future Supreme Court will take us. Well, somebody goes, well, you know, I don't like either one of these that are running for office. Well, like I said to you before, unless Jesus Christ is on the ballot, you will always be voting for the lesser of two evils. So get over it. That's the way it is. And those who sit home sulking about the candidates, refusing to vote until their idea of perfection gets the nomination, you are not performing your Christian duty as a citizen of these United States. Your vote does not mean you endorse every aspect of a person's life or philosophy or manners. It simply says, of the choices afforded me in this election, this is the candidate most likely to lead correctly. In other words, in alignment with the Constitution, aligned biblically most often, they will make choices that fall in the right direction. That's what you can hope for in any election where sinful humans are electing other sinful humans. Because the Supreme Court will make some very serious decisions about this document called the Constitution of the United States of America and its Bill of Rights. There is no easy way to say this. If you are refusing to vote this year, I urge you to humble yourself and prayerfully reconsider. As a citizen of the kingdom of God, we render to him what is his. Secondly, we then fulfill our responsibilities of, as citizens of the republic. What is America? Well, let's look honestly and introspectively for a minute. America isn't perfect. I love my country. I am an emotional patriot. Loving America doesn't mean denying there are stains on our history. There are stains on our national honor, several. One that is foremost, the horrible era of slavery. It's a stain on our national honor. Having said that, and not in any way trivializing it and what happened, it's important to remember that 387,000 Union soldiers gave their lives to end that sinful episode. 
that 275,000 others were wounded attempting to end that sinful episode. We have had political leaders who did not live up to the standards of the office for which elected. Our government has passed some bad laws, including the legalization of abortion, because nearly 60 million babies have been murdered in America since Roe v. Wade. And the next Supreme Court justices will either continue that process or will look to make adjustments and return that right to the states. Aspects of a broken culture. There are those so sexually confused, they don't even know who they are. And the urban decay. Cities decaying into swamps of drugs and murder. For all of that, the people of the world are still desirous to come to America for the hope of freedom. The masses are not attempting to leave America. They're trying to get in. And no one is speaking of building a wall to keep Americans in. I recall seeing East Germans, guards, shooting people, trying to escape to freedom, escaping communist tyranny. Thousands of Americans each day don't risk their lives trying to get into another country. Americans are not hiding in the backs of 18-wheelers or swimming across rivers or facing death in the desert to leave America. The nations of the world want to come to America. Why? Why do people still want to migrate to America? Because in spite of imperfections, America is still the greatest country on earth. People are coming to America because America is their hope for a future they can never have where they are. A chance for a better life for their children. They believe in the American dream. And that dream was never intended to be welfare and a free ride. That was never the intention of the fathers. If someone was genuinely, legitimately crippled or harmed and could not earn a living or take care of themselves, of course we take care of them. But not a free ride for anybody who just doesn't want to get out there and go for it. The dream is liberty. The, le- the dream is freedom. That you get up every day and you get an opportunity. My grandparents came to America with nothing but this dream called liberty. They became citizens of America and they raised Americans. The American dream. Liberty to speak what you believe without fear of government harassing you and intervening and stopping and preventing you. And looking at what's going on in our culture today and the damage being done with abortion and freedom of speech. Listen to me. Supreme Court justices will mess with these Bill of Rights if they are not the right kinds of justices, justices that say we will stand on the principles our fathers gave us. We will adhere to those principles. Your right to free speech and right of freedom of religion in that First Amendment, listen, is already being infringed. Your Second Amendment rights are already being talked about as being infringed. The American dream, the liberty to speak what you believe without fear of government, to assemble and ask for redress of grievances, for a free, listen, for a free press, not under the control of the government as propaganda. My goodness, and some of the press have become propagandists. To worship freely without government interference. Stay out of our business to provide for our families and to protect our families and our property. 
the liberty to vote our conscience. America is not a self-serving elitism of a ruling political class inside the beltway. And America is great. And America is the greatest country on the planet. But some of the things I hear and see in D.C., that place is a swamp. Unlimited terms of office perpetuate corruption. Career politicians who have never held a job or created a job. It's a good thing for someone to have to learn what it means to go out and earn a real living. And that changes your perspective when you go represent the people. America is the picture of a sports contest where people stand and place their hand over their hearts and sing the national anthem. America is a boy and girl scout pledging service to God and service to country. America is the Civil Air Patrol volunteering for search and rescue. America is not Hollywood millionaires living broken lives in luxury, hanging with politicians who have lost their hold of the truth so long they no longer know what truth is. Okay? That's not the America envisioned by our founders who pledged their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, and were willing to die and did die for it. America is hardworking blue-collar citizens who get up every morning and slug it out in jobs not glamorous. Their faces are not on the covers of People magazine, but they come home every night to a family they love and are loved by. America is not drug addicts and substance abusers and gangbangers who kill for sport. America is the single parent who's working a double shift, yet still gets up on a Sunday when sleeping in sounds great, and they bring their families to church, and they're living on a shoestring, yet they're teaching their young son to be the kind of father they never had. America is not planned parenthood nor an abortion center making merchandise of young frightened women who've been told convenience is more important than life and then turns around in some instances and sells the body parts of their unborn for profit. That's not the America of our Father's vision. Some of that stuff is already here. It's already crept into our culture. But it's not the hope of America. For the last 50 years, the church has lived through some dynamic change and shifts in our culture. We've watched prayer in our schools get tossed, the Ten Commandments tossed, the presence of creation in science tossed, the virgin birth called impossible, resurrection from the dead called improbable, Christmas and Easter vacations just called winter and spring breaks, Christian prayers at graduations no longer, sanctity of life no longer, right and wrong eh, relative to the person, Parent notification of an abortion, nope, it's called illegal. Abstinence, ah, laughed at in our culture. Marriage has been redefined by people in those positions called judging. Our government has embarrassed the prime minister of Israel. Catholic hospitals and Christian doctors are being forced to administer care in direct violation of their conscience. And we've watched private businesses sued for not towing the mark of social agendas. I'm standing in my pulpit preaching from a Bible that is being rejected by our national media because 80% or more of them, listen, those journalists and commentators support views that are 
not concurrent with, but opposite that of the Scripture. And so that's the culture we're facing today. America is the farmer standing in the middle of his orchard and humbly bows his head and prays for rain. And some people won't even get out of bed to come to church because it's raining. But he'll bow his head and thank God it's raining. He looks with pride at his crops and his trees. He knows his produce will be eaten on the tables of fellow Americans, and he's proud of his contribution. That is America. America is not an army of appointed bureaucrats and office buildings cranking out reams of counterproductive regulations, but do very little to justify their own existence and make it very hard for working Americans to make a decent living. America is an idea. It's an ideal. It's a light in a world of darkness. Our light has flickered from time to time, but it's never gone out. And there is still that lady in New York Harbor lifting high a beacon of hope, shining across the seas of a poor and broken planet. Yes, there are many clamoring to get here, but Christians are law-abiding citizens, and immigration laws are no exception. Why do so many from other cultures want to come here? There are those among us who are America haters. They spit on our flag. They despise our national history. They make heroes out of villains and villains into idols. But they forget the dream that became America is still what the whole world longs for. If America is so bad, why do the masses still want to come here? For all of her flaws, and there have been some, for all the imperfections, and there have been some, America is still the beautiful hope of the world. Why? Because our founders built it on the principles of Judeo-Christian values. And we must reject the thought that the spiritual is to be separated from the governmental. The only thought they had about government was, stay out of religious business. But religious people, spiritual people of faith, were told to interface and get in the middle of this and push for the betterment of your future because transform people, transform the culture while standing up for what is right. We have preachers who won't preach on the moral issues affecting our nation. These are our issues. And we've got, therefore now, because the voice of the pulpits have gone silent in America, we've got judges now who've decided for us when life begins. We've got judges who are deciding for us what a marriage should be and what it looks like. We've got judges deciding for us what truth is. When we don't need any judge to tell us any of that because between the pages of this book are all, is all the material that I'll ever need to know when life begins what marriage looks like, and what truth is. I've got a constitution and bylaws right here. 66 articles are in this bylaw that tell me everything I need to know about life and how to live it. And the people sitting in our pews won't say anything that might offend. 25 million of them refusing to even get up and vote. They don't want to say anything that might be considered controversial 
And meanwhile, the very life of our nation is at stake. So the scripture tells us, speaking to the body of Christ, take counsel. Allow the realization to set in. And I want you to realize the state of our country. Our nation today is in trouble because of the things that have been happening over the last five decades. I'm not a pessimist. I don't mean to sound negative. I'm believing for one final great awakening in America. But the truth is, I have grandchildren. And I realize if something doesn't drastically change in the direction we're going, the next generation will not know America as a nation of freedom and liberty as I've been privileged. And when socialists can have campaigns of young American adults and they gather in a coliseum or a stadium and they cheer about communistic, socialistic values, something has gone really wrong in our nation. Part of which has been affected by our educational system because children and young adults are being indoctrinated. History has been rewritten. The history lessons I learned when I was a child growing up in school about the very first textbook ever to be used in America called the New England Primer and then the McGuffrey Reader. And these were all biblically based textbooks that gave lessons on morality and life. Those are gone. The principles of our fathers, the character of our fathers, were they imperfect? Of course. But those principles were made, what made America great. And when we look at those characters and those, their desire and to make this country what it became, giving us a republic, being forged there in Liberty Hall in prayer, on their knees, asking God for guidance. Listen, we've turned around and we are trying to rewrite history. We're indoctrinating our young adults in colleges that all of these people were not Christians, that these people didn't have values, that they were immoral, and they're teaching children to rebel against the principles by which our country was formed. Therefore, to embrace a culture of socialism and communism. Listen, your tax dollars are being used to educate your children. You should have freedom of choice. Because if America is anything, it's about liberty and it's about freedom of choice. And you should be able to take those dollars and say, I prefer that my child be educated with these dollars in a school that reflects my values and reflects my principles. I promise you, the whole educational system would improve within 30 days. The word consider means to allow the realization to set in. And that's really what needs to happen to America. She has to wake up. The church must wake up. That means you and me and everyone who calls himself or herself a Christian or follower of Jesus. In the book of Romans, the 13th chapter, there are three end time instructions given to the church. In verse 11, he goes, Paul says, and do this, knowing the time. Knowing the time. Sons of Issachar understood, had discernment of the time in which they lived. And they were able to stand in a day when the whole world was against Israel and succeed. And he's telling the church, you better know the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, 
not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, but not in strife and envy. So he's saying, wake up, clean up, and look up. And first of all, we need to wake up. Paul is telling us in Romans, it's high time we awaken. So many people in the church who at one time were passionate about God, who loved the Lord, have fallen asleep spiritually. It's a trick of the enemy. And the Holy Spirit is screaming, wake up. Something is missing. Something's not there. You've left your first love. Your passion needs to be reignited. Wake up. Secondly, clean up. We've got to come out of substance abuse, drunkenness, lust and envy in the body of Christ. Strife and division does not belong in the family of the Lord. Come out of that, he said. Clean up. Jesus is coming back. We are just far too casual in our relationship with Jesus. We act like God is with us when we're in church, but the rest of the week we're out on our own as if he can't see the deeds we commit and the very thoughts we think. Being lukewarm isn't just being dispassionate. It's standing with one foot in the church and the other foot in the world. And you are your church self when you're in church and with your church friends. But you look an awful lot like the world when you are in the world. And third, he said, look up. This is no time to be playing God games. This is an hour that's so serious. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Get your family in church. Come to church. Be a part of the church because there's safety here in the church. Here God will protect you. Here God will prosper you. Here God will prepare you. Here God will see, you will see the blessings of God overtake your life. The great army general, Douglas MacArthur, one of the greatest to ever put on the uniform. After all of his conquests and highs and lows and the wars that he saw, he made a profound observation as his career was winding to a close. He said, quote, I am concerned for the security of our great nation. Not so much because of any threat from without, but because of the insidious forces working from within. End quote. A very astute observation from a lifelong servant of our country. And there are voices, some well-known voices, even voices from America's pulpits who are eager to damn America for her sins. Not so fast. Damnation is God's business, and judgment only belongs to the Lord. What we can do is appeal for his favor and blessing once again in America, to cry humbly to him, to repent to the one who makes and unmakes nations and ask him for forgiveness and for his favor once again. We can still seek his face. And today, we make an appeal to heaven and a plea with simple words written in 1938 by Irving Berlin. And he wrote, While the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for a land so fair. As we raise our voices in a solemn prayer.
And then he said, God bless America. Land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above, from the mountains to the prairies, to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. Our plea, our prayer, God bless America. That song is not a demand. That song is not a pronouncement. It's a prayer. It's a petition. It's not claiming to be more blessed than anybody else. It's a humble prayer. As we raise our voices in solemn prayer, God, please bless America. I think we ought to stand this morning We ought to lift our hands and humble our hearts and cry out to the Lord God. God knows we need to be praying and thinking and voting in the next several days.